Hello, my name is Michael Greenwood. And I'm Trent Matthew. We'd like to welcome you to our third podcast. And we are attracted to children. And it's something we ha- that we have. It's not who we are. Our identity is in Christ. And if you're listening to this podcast, our hope for you is that you would be encouraged, that you would find the answers that you're after, and we just want you to know that you're not alone, that there are other people who struggle with this as well, just like you. We just always want to be clear that that we believe sexual contact with children is harmful and wrong. It's not what God wants for our sexual intimacy. In this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about identity, and that's a big deal for people who are attracted to minors because our identity is constantly challenged, and it can lead to shame, it can lead to pride, but we'd like to emphasize that our freedom is in Christ, and and Trent's going to talk, take that away with his own story. Oh, all right. So, um, man... It's easier now, thank goodness, but I, you know, early on in those early days when I was just coming to terms with my own attractions, things were horrible. Like uh, I was suicidal, I was depressed, I had massive anxiety about this. And I mean, like, who wouldn't? This is enough to just shake your whole world and turn everything upside down. And inside my own self, like, I felt like my whole body was just a walking mass of just just rot like I was just a person that was just full of black mud and there was just so much uh shame I would just feel copious amounts of shame I was completely self-loathing and self-hating you know I had a really rough time trying to figure out like who is my identity like who am I at the very heart of myself You know, I can only say, by the grace of God, I got through this only because I had God as my identity, that my identity was found in Christ. I believe that, you know, Christ died to take away um, my shame. And that's really just what kept me alive, just knowing that, you know, God was still God, that he was in control that he was seated on the throne, and that he still loved me. That's so excellent. My experience is similar in that I wanted to find identity in the things that, well, society valued, that I was going to go get an education and and make money and have a family. But at the core of that, I, I was so shaken inside. All I could do is run in denial from the reality that I had these feelings and and now basically I was just waiting to implode and I wasn't sure how that was going to end up but I'm so grateful that I had a relationship with the Lord and that when I finally did fall fall in brokenness I could fall into his arms yeah wow I think it's really important actually just how you said how you know, struggling with things like denial can be a massive issue because at the start of everyone's journey, uh, you know, we realize that we have our identity. 
but sometimes we can get attached to other things like thinking that you know everything about us is fine that there is so much good in us already and when we realize that there is a lot of bad in us as well sometimes we go into hiding so i guess though without faith in god we're left to find our identity in other places right i mean if you're attracted to children society just looks down with a whole heap of disgust just for even having these feelings even though like they aren't your fault or anything and at the same time though it's also easy to harbor some like private shame that you feel that just burdens you down which leads you down that dark path of self-destruction and like yeah certainly a common theme for people attracted to minors is shame just a self-hatred the alternative is an arrogant pride and some people do slip in that direction to say forget it i'm not going to live with this shame i'll be if you think i'm you think i'm a monster i'll be a monster and a person in that sort of destructive pain they can cause a lot of harm themselves hurt people hurt others and so a challenge like pedophilia can either drive you away from God and from other people, or it'll drive you to God. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that idea of pride in one sense where you think, wow, if people think I'm a monster, then I may as well just, you know, I might as well just go and be one. And sometimes, like, even in my own journey, I'd alternate between feeling shame one day and then the other day I'd be like, oh, well, it's, it's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault and blah, blah, blah. And that was just while I was still, you know, finding out who I was and my views, what I believed, you know, just seeking that clarity. But the great thing is that underneath all of this, it's possible to have another identity and you can find yourself in Christ and understand that his forgiveness of sin, that he can give you grace to grow and that was the breath of fresh air that helped me start to climb out of the chasm that was my emptiness and bitterness, that God knew exactly what I was going through. He still loved me and was willing to walk with me through it. You can rest, you can have peace when you know that someone loves you and knows you completely and is willing to vouch for you and walk with you. For me, that meant being in his, the Bible, his word, knowing what was in God's heart, listening to the Holy Spirit talking my, to my conscience day by day. I would give him my best, and sometimes I would have failings. I would look too long or have thoughts that weren't right, uh, look at things I shouldn't, and, but I knew God knew, and, and he could help me overcome and and so it was, it's almost like that partnership with the Lord where you follow him. Yeah. And it really is about that sense of value, isn't it? Because in um, our own eyes, sometimes, you know, we see ourselves and we think, well, I'm nothing special, certainly not, or even less than that. And the world certainly doesn't value us. Um, but someone actually described it to me like this, you know, how do we know that we have value? And he used this analogy of modern art. So just imagine that there's this painting and it's just like 
you know, a Jackson Pollock. It's just like paint just splashed all around everywhere, really modern, really abstract, that sort of thing. Now, how do we know, like, how much that painting is worth, right? I mean, you can take a look at its basic materials and say, well, it's made up of this much wood, this much canvas, and this much paint. But um, essentially, the only way you can find out how much it's worth is by looking at how much someone was willing to pay for it. So if you have a painting that's worth $20 million, the only way they get that number is because that was the price that the collector paid for that painting, you see. And for us, we know that we have value to God on exactly the same principle. You see, we've been bought with the blood of Christ Jesus. That's so excellent. And it's amazingly freeing because if I find my identity in Christ and I don't need to keep defending my identity, trying to find peace and and encouragement in other places, if I find it in Christ, then it, it sets me free from that cycle of shame and pride back and forth. I can simply know that I'm I'm growing in the Lord. Yeah. And I mean when when you look at the blood of Christ, you have to realize that this is no cheap thing. Like I mean if God wanted to, he could he could have brought brought you back with, you know, a mountain of gold. He could have just made. But if God can make a mountain of gold out of nothing, to him essentially it has no value, like it has no sacrifice. But through Christ being the, you know, absolute sacrifice, the greatest thing that God valued shows that God must love us so much that he'd be willing to send his son for us, that Christ would be willing to take up the cross and live in obedience to the Father. And this is such a different view from God, from what most people get. I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, you know, Early on in my faith, I kind of thought God was like that frowning character that you see. Like if you've ever seen Michelangelo's painting, you know, the roof of the Sistine Chapel, kind of angry looking, very condescending kind of thing. But when we look at what God was actually like, when we look at the person of Jesus, his life had a lot of grit factor. Like he was born poor. He was born into a nation that was under the rule of a higher empire, and he was betrayed and, and, and he was killed, essentially. So it's not like God just is going to sit up on his cloud, like he actually comes down to our level, huh? That's what gives us hope, for sure. And one of my favorite verses is Psalm twenty-two twenty-four. It says, For he, referring to God, has not despised nor abhorred, the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. What that means is that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see us as some grotesque creature or somebody covered in mud. He doesn't despise us just because of the situation we're in. He doesn't think of us as gross or tainted because of these feelings, just for the fact of them. Instead, he sees someone he died for, his, his child. He sees you, his precious possession. And sure, you have afflictions. You have, we have pedophilia, a condition that is adversarial in many respects. And, but he's willing to join us and help us lift us out of that. And he doesn't look at you with anything except 
the love he showed in Christ. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I say in the Bible, we have some examples of people who responded to Jesus and dealt with various struggles. One was the Pharisees. There were a group of people who Jesus actually spoke against their hypocrisy quite a bit. They honored God with their lips, but not with their lives. In a way, that's a response that we can have. We can choose arrogance and pride and say, oh, well, I'm a good person, or, or say, well, you know, who, who can tell me what to do? Uh, Jesus told them, look, you're going to be, you're going to fall under the judgment of, of righteousness. God is just and holy. We, we will not escape with our sins. Pride will not get us very far. Yeah, so it's, so it's really important that you mention that pride factor there, hey, because these Pharisees, so caught up in their own sense of righteousness, they, they couldn't even see their sin. They thought that they were the best of the best, and yet they were the ones who wanted to kill Jesus, essentially. Now, if on one hand we've got pride, and a great example of that is the Pharisees, on the other hand, when we look at shame, we've got the example of Judas, don't we? Because he sinned, right? And he sinned really badly. Like, he betrayed Christ. And yet, from that, he could have still found forgiveness, right? We know that no sin is unforgivable. Now, sin certainly does have consequences in this reality and in this world. Of course, you know, people suffer these things. But what Judas did, though, is more in line with someone who doesn't understand God's grace. You see, after he sinned, he felt so much shame that he went away and he hung himself. And this is what so many people can do. And it's so sad. Like, I, I wanted to kill myself because I felt so much shame about, you know, just having these feelings and so on. And I just want to point out this verse, which I really love. It's, it just lays everything out brilliantly. It's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, and it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So from here, we can kind of see that there are two kinds of sorrow. We know that the sorrow that Judas had resulted in death. It was worldly sorrow, and he didn't have a sense of repentance, like he didn't come back to Jesus. Now, if we look at the example of Peter, I, th I think the example of Peter is also another great example because Peter sinned really bad as well. He denied Jesus three times while Jesus is on trial, essentially. You know, he said, I, I don't even know this man. Yet after the rooster crows, where do we find him? After all this has happened, when, when Jesus has died, where do we find him? We don't find him off in some field by himself. We find him with God's people, the rest of the disciples, in that upper room. You see, he understood the love of God. And because he understood the love of God, he was drawn back to God's people. He didn't isolate himself. He, he drew near back to God, back to God's people. And that can be one of the biggest things that's like either make or break. It's like either you understand the love of God and how powerful and how fierce that love is, or you don't understand it and you don't trust in God and you just think you're so horrible, you think you just go kill yourself. 
but I just want to make it absolutely clear that God loves us and he's demonstrated that through the cross of Christ. Okay, God loves you. There is absolutely no sin that God cannot forgive. And he gives this invitation absolutely freely to come and follow him, to become one of his disciples, so that when we die, we can live with him forever in heaven. And I just want to take the time just to invite you now. If you, if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ Jesus, I'd really encourage you just to ask God to forgive your sin, to just turn from your sin, to repent, trust in him, and follow him. Thank you for that, Trent. Yes, God gives his invitation to all of us. And the reason we wanted to talk about this is that Trent and I know from personal experience how difficult it can be to face this challenge of pedophilia, particularly when it comes to identity. If you're trying to find your identity in society or in your achievements, uh, the challenge with pedophilia real quick could drive you to intense shame or maybe even worse to an obstinate pride that makes you reckless and hurt others. That we have found a solution in Christ, that there is a God who loves us. He says what our identity is, who we are, by how he values us. And that frees us from shame. It frees us from pride, where we can say, Lord, I choose to follow you, and that's who I am. And you know, just because you have these unwanted and involuntary attractions towards kids, it doesn't make you any less of a Christian than anyone else. Like there are no second-rate Christians in God's family. There are no children that God certainly doesn't enjoy having in his family. Exactly. If you're out there and you need support, if you need someone to talk to, Trent and I are available at our email address, support at christianpedophile.com. Also, on our website, you can find a lot of other great resources. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to talking with you next time. Goodbye. Bye.